This is Who Makes a Podcast? Conversations with your favorite podcast hosts about who they are, the shows they make, and why they make them. I'm your host, Chris Cookley, and my guest today is Don Brody. Don is a comedian with a history degree who is as comfortable among museum artifacts as she is on the stages of comedy clubs around the United States. She is the producer and host of the bi-monthly podcast Hilf, History I'd Like to Fuck, and can be seen on several television networks, including the History Channel. She is also a street improviser at Universal Studios Hollywood and lives in Los Angeles with her husband, daughter, and itty-bitty dog, Yogurt. In this episode, we talk about Dawn's love of all things history, the courage needed to ask strangers on as a guest, controversial podcast names, and when and why they can work. And Dawn gives us an inadvertent mini-health episode on the Children's Crusade. There's so much more that we talk about that I can't fit in this intro, including her life on a houseboat. To hear it all, you need to listen to this episode. And lucky for you, here is my conversation with Dawn Brody. Dawn, welcome to Who Makes a Podcast. Thank you for having me, Chris. This is great. This is so, I'm so honored that you asked me. Oh, well, I'm honored that you said yes. I'm very excited about this conversation. I've listened to your podcast a number of episodes now that I've found out about it, and it's fantastic. I love it. So, you know, for people who don't know who you are, would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you got there, anything like that? Yeah. Um, I am a Midwest girl born and bred. I um, am from the middle of nowhere in rural Wisconsin, a small town called Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Um, and I moved there, uh, moved out of there when I was 18 to go to college at the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities, go Gophers. Um, and I lived and worked as an actor in the Twin Cities uh, for like 25 years. The last nine years of which I lived aboard a houseboat on the Mississippi River um, in St. Paul, which was so cool. Kind of hacked my my ass out of the ice uh, for half the year, which was a lot of fun. And then in 2014, um, my then boyfriend and I <laughs> packed up our dog and two cats and moved out to LA in an old RV. And we lived in Van Nuys, which is like a small sort of suburb. I don't know, suburb doesn't seem like the right word in Los Angeles. They're not really boroughs like New York. They're just another, another stretch, you know what I mean? In the Valley at one of the, one of the boulevards, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, lived in, in Van Nuys in this RV for four years. And then we just had a lot of luck. My fellow is a director in film and television, and he got a big boy job at Netflix. And um, I found some luck uh, as an actress and a comedian here in, in Hollywood. And now we have a baby and a condo and <laughs> awesome. And uh, it's great. We love it. Yeah. I, I need to know uh, what life was like on the houseboat, because that's not a normal path that people take. I, I, I don't know that many people I've met have lived on houseboats. <laughs> no, you know, even even there, it you've was had like two houseboats, right? Two houseboats. Yeah. The first boat I, I got, I, I bought when I was 27 and single and it was just me and my dog. And it was, it was because I'm <clears throat> kind of a poet and an idiot and a pothead. And uh, <laughs> that, 
coalesced around uh, a group of people that just uh, lived on, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but uh, it felt very natural and it was all very wonderful and interesting and I loved it. And then three years in, I met and fell in love with my current uh, husband and he had never lived on a boat or had no experience with boats at all. And, uh, but he liked me. <laughs> and so he, he jumped right in and, and it was great. But then the boat, the original boat was too small. And so we sort of realized that we didn't want to leave the river and we didn't want to leave boating, but you know, we'd outgrown the hull. And so we took that original boat 1800 miles down the Mississippi river on an Epic trip to say goodbye and uh, and then we moved on to a, a big two-story steel-hulled beauty wow. named Toad Hollow. And we lived on her for another three, four years. Oh, so great. We loved it. So aside from the the giant trip down the Mississippi River, are do you mm-hmm. move a houseboat or are you just kind of like parked on a dock? It depends. It depends. My first houseboat was very mobile and I took it out all the time. That big epic trip was the Bon Voyage, but we took it out, you know, 4th of July. It was like my friends knew do not make plans on the 4th of July because I'll take my boat down. You know, you get a bunch, you know, 10, 15 drunks and hope as <laughs> at least as many life jackets and, uh, <laughs> you no know, Titanic situations. You, yeah. It's actually, ironically, it would be like the only night I was sober because I'm the <laughs> captain and I took that job fairly seriously in the river at night coming home from the 4th of July. I mean, there's no lights. Yeah. It's not like there's street lights and you've just got all these idiots and like little speed boats and everyone's running around and it was kind of a chaotic situation leaving, but Oh my God. You know, if you've ever seen fireworks from a boat, you know, that's the way to see them, man. It was so great. We'd pull water ski. I would pull, it was so weird to me that I would have like my yearbooks and my dirty laundry and my butter and my checkbook and my house, you know what I mean? And I'm, and I'm pulling a water skier. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was really cool. It was like houseboats are cool, but when you actually live aboard full time, it's a very kind of strange situation. (laughs) it, It must be able to move fairly quick then if you can get somebody up on water skis. Yeah, it went fast. Yeah. She was fast. Did you have... Burned a lot of gas. Yeah, I would imagine. We live kind of near a marina, so I, I don't have a boat, but we drive by. There's roads that go by, and you drive by at night. You can see some of the boats have have lights on, so I'm, I feel like people are probably living there. And then you've got the boats that are still yeah. out on the lake that have the like neon lights all around the sides of them, I think, so people can see them, I yeah, guess. Yeah. yeah, you really need to be seen. And, and a lot of, and you don't need, there's, there's a lot less licensing on boats. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't have to take a test necessarily to get a boat license. So you, you hope that people know that you got to have your running lights on, you know, your red light is port, your green light is starboard, your white light is your running light. But that seems like that definitely not everyone knows that certainly not if they're out in a canoe, right? They don't know. They need to fucking know that. You right. know, to know if the barge is coming towards them or going away, but you'd want to know. Yeah, no, uh, I, I can't see myself doing that, but I'm I'm glad that you enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't know if I'd do it again. I mean, I would I would do it again if I had to go back. I'd do it again sure. every time. Not right now. But I don't know if I would enter into it now. I think that's why you do it. If you're gonna do it, you do it when you know you're 27 yeah. and your your dog is the only one who needs you to come home at any particular time. And you went to University of Minnesota, which is fine. It's a Big Ten school. Oh, ouch. I went I'm to, not going to say I don't hear your judgment. I, I do. I hear your I went judgment, to Purdue, so okay. it's a little bit of a Big Ten rival thing there. I see. I see. 
That's see, it's, it's so rare for me to have anyone be like the gophers because, <laughs> yeah. like, ugh, yeah. those poor sad sacks. I remember going to you know, basketball games are always giving free tickets away to the basketball Oh, really? Games. We did not Sorry, get guys. free tickets oh, yeah. at uh, at Purdue. We did not get any free basketball tickets. No, you wouldn't get free basketball tickets at Purdue. No. no. Nope. That's more of a golden gopher <laughs> thing. You went there for history? Is that right? I was a theater major theater. Okay. and a history minor. Yeah. Okay. So you've enjoyed history for a long time. Yes. Yeah. It's always been my thing. Before yeah. college or did you kind of pick it up yeah. in college? Yeah. I don't think I knew that it was history. Like, I, I don't know if I knew that that was the like name of the umbrella that covered what I was interested in, because yeah. I was definitely interested in stories. So no, so like, I think that's school. where like the theater history, I did well in high school. Like I got good grades and yeah. I liked all my classes because I was just generally very curious and kind of a bookworm. And I liked, you know, so I was I was a good student and I liked school. But I don't remember being like particularly great at history. I was great at theater mm-hmm. and I was I was really into the visual arts. But I think that was more about the community. There wasn't like a history community and I'm a social creature, you know. Yeah. But I mean, I remember reading historical nonfiction by choice in middle school. Yeah, it's a little strange. It's a little weird. Like I remember reading, but but it was also not that weird because I was a weirdo. So I would read about like, um, I remember reading um, um, a, a Survival in Auschwitz Okay, was one of the first books I read. I was probably like his straight history book that I read. And then I remember a teacher telling us about, oh, I can't, I'm so sad. I don't remember all the details about this. It was like a French satirist. And she had done that. It was a tangent in class. I don't even think it was from history class. I think it was just my teacher was kind of talking about something that interested her. And she had said that there was a French satirist who had criticized the government by writing a pamphlet suggesting that the cure for the hunger and the poverty in Paris was to start eating the children, (laughs) eating the poor children. And it was, and I thought that was so funny because that, and I understood satire and I understood how someone would be like, I get it. Let's just start eating the poor children right. and have everyone be like, oh, oh, fuck you. You don't, you know, <laughs> but also like, I thought that was such a funny, that it happened, that it wasn't a bit, it wasn't a joke. It yeah. was a, an event that happened in history. Somebody wrote this, you know, and I, I remember looking at the library because this is before the internet, of course, trying to find it so I could read it and not knowing that I was that I was interested in history and not even being able to articulate to the librarian what it was I was looking for and why I was looking for it. But I think I've always had a, a tickle. It's stories and then true stories, the really, really happened stories, you know? Did the librarian locate the article for you? No. No. Okay. Well, I mean, no, she would have deserved a raise if she had. She would have been. She would have. And I I would have done her a disservice. I would have been like, oh, yes, it was. uh, That would be Sartre. And it was 1612. I'd have been like, holy. (laughs) No, not in Wisconsin Rapids. God bless them. But no, the librarian in Wisconsin Rapids did not have her arms around French satirists. Do you have a a favorite period or time in history that you that you go back to or you keep digging into? Yeah, um, it's so funny. It, it when when I I thought about this question, I was so stu- stunted by it because, of course, I I do actually love everything history, and that does include like 2019. <laughs> like well, I would sit down right now and dig a into year. a book of 2019. It was like the last good year we 2020, had. 2020, you know? not so much. Not so. Then we just really <laughs> right off a cliff. Yeah. 
So uh, the truth is I've, I've yet to encounter a history subject that doesn't have a hook that catches the inside of my lip at some point. But I do come back again and again in American history to the 1920s and the 1970s. And I think the reason I come back to these two decades in particular is pr- similar reasons, because you could sort of spin the, the wheel and stick a pin at any point and hit something very interesting that was going on somewhere. You know, in the 20s, you've got prohibition and the jazz age and, you know, you're between two world wars and the stock market crash and personal, you know, women's fashion did this crazy. So like, what do you want to talk about? The twenties probably has got something wonderful going on. And the 1970s, it's the same thing. Like, do you want to talk about Nixon? Do you want to talk about Vietnam? Do you want to talk about women's liberation or the civil rights? Or like, it's, I, I, there's just like so much meat on those bones. Um, But then I, I can't help but go back to like, the age of uh, pir- golden age of piracy, 1650 to 1750, you know, part of the age of exploration and just like, are we going to fall off the globe? <laughs> are there giant cyclopses on that island? I, there's one way to find out. Like, I find that a very sort of sci-fi like yeah. time in real human history that is just delicious. I was going to ask you if the reason that you were picking the 20s and the 70s maybe was because the material about that time period those time periods is more readily available than older periods like because it's it's easier to find a lot of stories and a lot of information like there's there's video cameras in the 70s you know like you yeah. could you could go see stuff yeah and you know but for better for better and worse right right yeah <laughs> it's harder to find because stuff it means there's the too much century. to read yeah there's too much but you know like i'm reading right now i've got a book going about joan of arc and um you know she's kind of early 1400s and She's one of those really fascinating people in in history from that time period in that she was famous while she was alive. So, and what was happening in her day to day within weeks of her life was being written to the, to the extent that you could be blasting headlines. They were trying to do that with Joan of Arc. And I didn't know that almost as much about her life had been written during her lifetime as has been written since, which seems pretty amazing. I am woefully ignorant about her story. Well, like episode 17, bro, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> is it coming out? Or is it's it coming out? up. It's coming up. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I go hard on okay. Joan in the hills. Yeah. I will. I will, I'm subscribed. So I'll check it out when it comes out. <laughs> okay, great. My, my recent dive into history is that I just finished the discovery of witches book series again for the second time. Oh, so there's a 1500 year old vampire in that. So, you know, so pretty much you've got your finger on the pulse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, of the time period. He knew Shakespeare and uh, oh. Darwin. He knew all the people. See, I'd love that stuff. I love that stuff. I haven't read that one, but one of my favorites that kind of cycles on this, um, like history scr- scratches that itch is um, um, Stephen King's 112263. Yeah, fantastic. Oh. As a history buff and a huge fan of Stephen King, it is one of the most satisfying literary experiences I've ever had because it does all the Stephen Kingy stuff. Oh yeah, with all the real history stuff, and ooh, what a joy! That's a heavy book. Yeah, it's a big. It's a big book. You gotta be. You gotta already know you're gonna be on the beach for a few days. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> hey, it's Chris. 
Can I jump in here for a minute and ask if you have thought about making your own podcast? If you have, you may have realized there's a lot more that goes into it than you might have thought. Don't worry. I have a gift for you. I want you to have my podcast quick start checklist. From what microphone and recording software you should use to how you host and distribute your show, I'm here to help with all of that and more. My podcast quick start checklist will walk you through everything you need to know to start your podcast. I'll show you what's actually important. To get my podcast quick start checklist, go to whomakesapodcast.com slash start and tell me where to send it. Now let's get back to the episode. You are a, a full-time actress, um, stand-up comic. You've been in Days of Our Lives, Pretty Little Liars, feature films, short films. Why make a podcast? I, I mean, the history <laughs> the history thing makes sense now. Obviously, that's huge for you, but, but why a podcast? I think the thing I've actually been doing longest has been walking into rooms with people in them and telling them about the thing I just learned. (laughs) Like I actually think that the acting and comedy and everything else really came from, from that like initial need to just like everybody. Did you know that caterpillars wrap themselves? They throw up and then they smear the throw up all over themselves until, you know, or whatever. (laughs) Nervous, I think. And it's like my take, you know what I mean? My <laughs> So like that fed so many things. I didn't know it was comedy. I didn't know it was performance even. And I didn't do a podcast for a long time because to your point, I'm a performer. I, I always just thought of stage, stage and camera, stage and camera. And when the YouTube boom sort of started, which was people kind of like me, frankly, first had the thought to turn a camera on themselves in their own weird little world. It seemed like it made a lot of sense to me that I would have done it when I was on my houseboat, for example. That was in 2006. If I would have had the technology and the desire to start up a sexy little YouTube video, who knows what that would have been. And it wasn't like I was ignorant of it. I wrote about it a lot, but I never wanted that. Like, I didn't like it actually on me, I don't, I, I don't want to need to be looked at that much. And I didn't need to, the performance made it seem sort of inauthentic. And I, I never, I, I just couldn't, I didn't like it. And I, and I, and I felt like if I did it, it would be real false, but I can't stop telling people about the cool, interesting thing I read in history. And that was always part of my comedy and part of every conversation I had over a Jack Daniels at a party. And so I joked that I was the last comedian in Los Angeles to have a podcast, <laughs> but it was during COVID kind of at the end of COVID when people were starting to get the tink, like maybe we're going to emerge from our various holes. <laughs> and somebody said that they were, Oh God, you know what it was? They were talking about their favorite porn. <laughs> people were talking about like the porn trends that had gone crazy during COVID, how everyone had like really gone, gone in on whatever their, their kink or their, <laughs> thing was and that porn had done porn had done yeah right (laughs) porn had done quite well of course during covid and somebody was talking about how the the abundance of milf porn and i was like yeah i I get it because i i got hilf porn and i just i remember (laughs) thinking oh that's funny because i did i just loaded up on history books and that was all i did during covid was like my hilf my hilf porn i got into that hilf and i thought it was funny enough and it stuck in my head and and it occurred to me that if i were to structure my podcast i always knew if i did a podcast it'd be about history that um 
there, you'd never run out of subjects because I do yeah. love everything about history. And especially if I'm bringing in a guest, a different guest every time to just tell me what are they, you know, everything from fashion to wars to ancient Greece, like you're never going to run out. Yeah. And I just, I loved it. I loved it. And it's a great way to reach out to people too. You know, you meet someone interesting and you have a great conversation. You can say, Hey, <laughs> we don't have to become best friends or, you know, move in together, but do you want to sit down for another couple of hours and talk more about something specific? You know, yeah. it's fun. So how, how are you finding your guests? Are these people that you already know? Or is it is it just random interactions like that? You're meeting somebody and like, hey, come on, come talk to me. Um, the latter has been true recently. I knew okay. when I first started that I would have to front load with people I knew because it would be, first of all, the scheduling. I started in October of 2021. And um, so COVID was still sort of around. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's still sort of, you know, sure. depending on who, what, whatever it is. But um, it wasn't a great time to be like, would you like to come into my home or would you like to meet in a small, tight space? Um, <laughs> but I, as I said, I needed to, the, you know, doing it face to face was important to me. So I did get the first several guests for people I knew, some personal friends and some out of just scheduling necessity. <laughs> you know what I mean? You reach out, you're like, I need you to come over and listen to me talk about this for a couple of hours because I got to yeah. get this podcast out. But now, you know, um, the podcast has been doing well and I'm feeling more confident with it. I understand what I'm asking and how to act, how to um, achieve what it is I'm looking for. And so I've reached out to folks I don't know and I've introduced myself to people that I've never met before as a podcast host and that I would like to have you on my podcast. And um, so a few of my guests are new to me and I, and I like that. It's great. Isn't that so rewarding? Yes. <laughs> Obviously, we were best friends before you came on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, your wedding and <laughs> yeah. yeah, and no. your two kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're very gracious to agree to come on my podcast with me, despite having never heard of me before. <laughs> but you do know one of my previous guests, who is John Gaspard. So I'm curious how you met him. How do you know him? Yes, John is great. He is in the Twin Cities theater and film scene. So when I was living there, we encountered each other. I, I think the first time I met John, um, there was a satirical musical uh, being produced in the Twin Cities. It was written by a guy named Jim Detmar, very funny. And it was called Michelle, the Musical Documentary. <laughs> because depending on where you're listening, Michelle Bachman was our controversial Congress lady from Minnesota. <laughs> and it was just a very slicing, very funny documentary. I was not in the musical um, because I can't sing or dance, but they did have me do these sort of funny video, one of the funny video interstitials that happened during the play where I uh, improvised and pre performed as uh, Michelle's makeup artist as if I have been doing her makeup and following her around for all these years and just to sort of a uh, traumatized per woman with a lot of dark stories. And John directed that and, um, and we left and we had a great time. And then he wrote and directed a film after that, not long after that called ghost light, which is this delightful independent feature length film. Um, and I was lucky enough to have a, a role and it was great. That makes sense. Yeah. He did say that he, uh, he's a film director. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. Do you have any any podcasts that you that you look up to in any sort of way? Any any sh podcast hosts or shows that you try to emulate? Do you do you listen to podcasts? <laughs> I'm rambling a little I bit. I do listen to podcasts. I can't yeah, I can't really say necessarily that I try to emulate, but I'm certainly inspired by the podcasts that I listen to. 
my favorite, I think my first favorite podcast was This American Life. Yeah. And then Radio Lab. And I believe that Classics. This American Life, yeah, This American Life and Radio Lab got me through a lot of road trips, a lot of running, a lot of early morning runs. And then I would, I did like serial, you know, I'd jump into sort of limited series podcasts that were trending for sure. And then it'd be kind of seasonal. So like for sure on Halloween, I get into my true crime. Like, <laughs> tell me about the guy who wore women's skin like a dress. Like, I want to know all about it. And I like, <laughs> I'll get into those for a while. And then there are topical, like educational podcasts that have been very valuable for me in my own podcast, because, you know, the James K. Polk Library, for example, had some fantastic short episodes with a variety of subjects related to James K. Polk. And so when one of my guests assigned me that subject, um, I found that podcast very educational. So um, it was great. And I wouldn't say so much I try to emulate anybody, but usually, you know, you get those little things like, oh yeah, I could do that. You yeah. can, you know, you just, it's just the ideas for, for flow, questions, tech, interstitials, that kind of stuff. I have started including in my podcasts um, short ads for other podcasts that I like. Mm -hmm. You know, either personal me just saying, I love this podcast. You guys should go listen or inviting the creators of those podcasts to, to pre-produce their own ads that I run in my mid-roll or end roll. Nice. You said that your guests assign you a topic. What is what does that process look like? Are you blanket, you know, tell me what you want to learn about and I'll teach you? Or are you <laughs> are you giving them a list of options they can pick from? How does that process work? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. So again, starting out new, I was figuring out some of the stuff. So I knew there were a few topics in advance, um, but like DB Cooper was, which is my third episode was assigned to me out of the blue. Um, I had reached out to that guest, Miley Flanagan. She's a friend of mine from the twin cities. And uh, she's also a, an actress here in Los Angeles. Just so cool. So funny. And I knew she'd be a great guest. And when I first started, I reached out to, you know, a handful of people and she responded with yes, DB Cooper. And so that was when I, I bought the book and started raw and read the book and delivered that episode with the, okay, I didn't know anything. And here's what I've learned. And now I'm going to give it to you. Um, and then sometimes like pirates was one that I knew I would like to do in my first season. So when I started with a guest and said, what, what would you like to do? Many guests come back and go, I don't know. Or I, what do you mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're yeah. very, they say yes to me because they like me and they want to do a podcast, but they're not sure what it means. And in that case, it's nice to be like, well, here's a few examples or here are some subjects that, you know, you might, might pique your interest. And um, sometimes I give them those subjects because I do think they'll pique their interest. And sometimes it's because I have that book already. And so it would save me a little time well, or convenient. I've already researched it, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. But like uh, James K. Polk, was whoa and my live show um subject uh was uh, i was like oh okay <laughs> i'll start figuring that out you know so kind of a mixed bag whether you already know the history and you're you're just confirming the facts that you know or like you you some of these you have never even never researched any of it all no, like D.B. Cooper, I remember thinking, yeah, I think he was a bank robber. Like I knew he had a <laughs> ransom and jumped out of a plane, but I didn't know how he got his money. So I had to like go through that. Route. But even even like Frankenstein, which was my first episode, <clears throat> excuse me. And I and I did choose Frankenstein as my first episode because it was a subject with which I was exceedingly familiar already going in. I still read it again. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not familiar with that other than it was a book. Is there more to it than it was just a book? Ooh, girl. Mm. 
So yes, Frankenstein is a, is a really fascinating story because it was the first piece of science fiction. Okay. So it is arguably the first time that we took what was actually happening in science, which was we started zapping dead bodies with electricity and seeing them <laughs> flip and flop around, which was very interesting with this, the, the poetic question of what if this science were to suddenly take a giant leap forward? What if we, we applied just the right amount of electricity to just the right organ and this fuck got up and got, you know, came back to life. And, um, and Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein was 16 when she started writing it and 18 when it was published. And she has a fascinating life full of sex and death and travel and rebellion. And so, um, yeah, it was, I knew I would love that, but I've read the novel Frankenstein in its many different publications, probably a 12 times. I've probably read Frankenstein cover to cover 12 times. And I've seen all the movies and I wrote and performed a one woman show as Mary Shelley for over a decade. Like I was. You're, you're into it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I think I've read the, uh, the great illustrated classics version of of Frankenstein. Listen, you got the broad strokes. You'd probably get a C. There was a a monster that came to life and, uh, Mm -hmm. Bad things happened in a village. I don't know. Bad things happened in a village. But, you know, people dig into it because, you know, there are questions of God and creation. And, you know, people are like, isn't this just all of us? You know, aren't we all just these icky, gooey creatures that wake up one day realizing how <laughs> ugly and scary we are, who then stumble through a cruel world trying to punish the asshole who did this to us? <laughs> she was you know. 16 when she wrote that? She was 16, dude. And she was God. strung out on opium. In the in a castle in a terrible thunderstorm, and she was like, "Wait a minute, what the hell have I done what with a- my life?" Yeah, it's so good. I haven't done anything. <laughs> <laughs> You've done ton. You have two children. Yes. <laughs> See, she had five children, but only one lived. So you're already, in many ways, doing much better than Mary Shelley. I mean, not by sixteen, I would hope. Maybe. No. Okay. Five children and a book. She had five. I know it's okay. She was rich. <laughs> Um, I feel like we need to talk about the name of your podcast. Good. Let's. John uh, mentioned it to me and was like, I told her she needs to pick a different name. <laughs> where does it where does it come from? I mean, you, you said it was like an offhanded comment. It's a uh, it's it's not a not a divisive name. Maybe it is. It is a little bit. I mean, yeah. it, the name of the name is Hilf history. I'd like to fuck. So. When I realized it was funny and I liked it. Yeah. I mean, as I said, right. And I thought, oh, that'd be good. I knew immediately it is uh, divisive because it is vulgar. Yes. And vulgarity has several layers of screening, of course. One is very practical, which is the various streaming services and the various platforms on which you host a podcast. Not for kids. Have filters that will that will limit your audience because you have a vulgar word in the title. So that was a consideration, as is people's sensibilities. Right. Uh, they, you know, you can lose listeners because they don't want to hear that. I, however, with those those thoughts in mind, know, knew that the podcast was going to be very much in my voice and very authentic and conversational. And I am a foul-mouthed, tattooed, <laughs> former river rat who loves to say fuck. Yeah. And no one's paying me to do a trade show for Target do you know what I mean? This is my fucking yeah, podcast. Right, right. So I was already like, well, I'm not going to start with like, here's my great idea for a title. Oh, I better not. Like, that's a terrible Dumb way to it start. Dumb it down. Right? Yeah. 
And I figured if you put the F word right there in the title, then you're probably going to filter out the people who are going to take issue with whatever it is yeah. you have. They're in just the not even going to listen. Of your episode. Yeah. You'll never get and the bad reviews. And there's probably a yin to that yang, which is people are, are like, ooh, she says fuck. <laughs> I want, you know, I want to listen to it. And it was though John Gaspart saying to you that he wished I'd changed the title. He wasn't the only one. I had of several people who who seemed to find it just too conflicting. They they find me, and I'm very flattered to hear it. Very smart, and they, the the podcast is very smart. And I take a lot of pride in the research that I do and the work that I put into this podcast. I think it's a very good podcast. It's a it, good is, quality, it is a good podcast, and it's very accurate. And so yeah. I think that they feel like they can't give a full throated endorsement or like pitch for my podcast to some of the people in their <laughs> lives who they think would enjoy it because of this fucking title. So um, episode six and seven are dedicated to profanity in part because I, I wanted to say, listen, I, I don't take it, it lightly. Yeah. yeah. Get over it. And this isn't accidental. I'm really aware of what I'm doing yeah. by putting it in there. And I, and I really like what I'm doing by putting it in there. And, um, and the, the little bit that I, I've done just technically, which is putting the, the asterisks. So I don't spell out the word fuck in the official title. It mm-hmm. has little asterisks, which, um, gives you some more, uh, you know, availability to people. Um, but it's marked as ex- explicit. And so nobody's too shocked going in. There is shockingly little sexual innuendo. I feel like I, like I was going into it, expecting it to just be like full of subversive jokes and uh (laughs) it's just it's just a cool history discussion like yeah it really is a cool history discussion under the veneer of the title yeah like i've got kind of a a foul mouth but um otherwise we're not talking that much about sex i don't look for the sex in every history right (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, but it's doing well Mm -hmm. growing How, how big is your podcast now how many like listeners average downloads totals do you look at that at all yeah, you know, it seems to be doing well. I do look at that. I look at it sort of in a cursory way and I and I and I am woefully unaware of how it compares yeah. to an extent. Like I I it's sort of like what you sort of know. But um I have the current episode up right now <clears throat> um is episode 14 and I have a total of like 6300ish downloads total. Nice. It feels like I get give or take 200 downloads a week. So I'm usually kind of like the first week because it's a bi-weekly. So the week that the episode is out and fresh, the first seven days, I'm usually getting between 150 and 200 downloads that first week. And then the second week, you know, it's a little less than that. And then it sort of tapers off. But from what I can tell from my statistics, people see, it seems like, and and I'm not tracking this with any kind of complex analytics. So a lot of this is me just guessing. Yeah. But it feels like my listeners get very excited my first day an episode comes out i get a ton hundreds you know what i mean 110 right. 15 sometimes just that first day people seem to be kind of excited about it and coming out and then you know it goes through fewer and fewer downloads kind of every day until the next fresh episode comes out but it feels like throughout that two weeks they're going through all of my episodes yeah because the all like from episode one through 14 they all get a handful of listens a day or a handful of downloads a day um, nobody seems to be left behind. I haven't had a, a dud yet. It doesn't feel like there's an episode that just really shit the bed, but you know, <laughs> I've noticed that on mine as well. The first day is way bigger than any other mm-hmm. day. Do you have a, a standout episode? Is there one that's like kicking everybody's ass, even though it's been out for a while? 
Yeah, the very first one, Frankenstein, has over 720 downloads. And the next one is like five, 540 or something. Okay. Um, and I think it's because, you know, it's the first one. So it was available longest. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that makes sense. But I also think that I've, I've been, I've heard from a couple of high school students and I have relationships with several high school teachers. And I think that it's thorough enough, my episode, that people are using it to study for their tests. Okay. Because it's like an hour long and it is, girl, yeah. you, if you listen to that podcast, you'll get a B on whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> I mean, you know, like it's, it, it's kind of fun, you know? Do you think, you think kids are going out and finding it themselves or are there some like really brave high school teachers assigning a health episode for their class to listen to? I like to think it's the latter. I think it's both, I know but in I, my I state like to that think wouldn't that, fly. I would hope that like a history teacher, you know, like, well, it, sh- it should could be but... like, whatever you do, I I'm so furious. I've just heard about this horrible podcast. Do not listen to this podcast. I find any of you have listened to this smut, you know, and they'd be like, what's it called? Yeah. You know, um, and I think, but but then the other one that did really well was the one with my husband. Uh, episode five was right at Christmas of 2021. And um, I did Krampus, which is a really cool mm. character. And it was yeah. my husband. I was like, you know, we're new. People can kind of find out what I'm about. And um, and that, that episode uh, seems to be ringing bells too ringing bells nicely done <laughs> the uh the high school thing that you're just saying where the teacher's like don't do this yeah reminds me of the uh prohibition episode that you just did with the wine company sending <laughs> the like freeze-dried pre-packaged grapes or something that were wrapped <laughs> in paper that was like do not soak this in water do not put this in the closet warning this yeah. can be made into wine warning Stay away yeah. yeah yeah that's funny which is kind of what wearing a red dress is you know what i mean like red for humans is like Ugh. but when we wear you know but it gets your attention and it definitely is like whoa and so there's definitely like whatever you do don't you dare touch this it's hot Mm-mm. Right. <laughs> you mentioned that you're uh doing a seasons this is your first season of the mm-hmm. podcast how did you decide on that going with seasons and not just continuously your questions are so good because and i'm so the answers are usually like that seemed like a good idea to me i just sort of made that up i knew (laughs) well i knew when i started i was like well we'll see how this goes i don't even know how much work this is going to be i don't even know exactly what it's going to be like and you know i was kind of like well i'll do it every other week and it'll be about an hour long and i that seems sustainable to me and my sort of prediction of how it would go and that's really, the world that I'm living in. <laughs> yeah. And really, once now I really got it. I know now. My guesses have been confirmed and disconfirmed <laughs> in other ways. But um, I feel like 20 is a nice round number. And that brings me to July, which mm-hmm. is summer, <laughs> the height of summer, right? And I figured that the best case scenario is that I am going gangbusters. I'm having a blast. I finally got into a groove. I take a month down, which is only two episodes for me because they're every other month, and I get real caught up. And I get to lay down. You know, I don't change much. I don't really alter much about what I'm doing, but I get caught up and I can sort of reintroduce or whatever. And then best worst case scenario is if I'm stumbling, if I'm having problems or I really want to change something, it makes sense that this is a time that I do that, you know? Um, so I just sort of arbitrarily chose 20 episodes. I was, I was like the other, my other gut instinct was 13 because that's like classic TV. Yeah. 
season. I don't know. Is that but still a thing? Yeah, I, I mean, right? If and who would care? So um, <laughs> once, and then I also had it sort of mapped out. So now I'm, I'm, as you said, number fourteen is the episode that's up right now, and I know my live show that I'm recording will be the second to the last episode of the season. And then I'll have something like a season finale, um, which is going to be the uh, orgy, Hilf orgy, (laughs) which is going to take deleted conversational moments from every episode or maybe every episode and Frankenstein them together in a sort of, you know, because I usually do ask my guests, you know, what's your favorite movie or what were you like in high school? And sometimes those things go into the episode and sometimes they don't, but they're usually really fun. Cool. Are you pre-recording episodes pretty far in advance? Do you have them batched or is it, are you like doing it and then you have two weeks to get it ready and put it out and then you're doing another one? Like how many do you have in the can? I have one in the can right now. So okay. no, I, I've tried like the the episode um, 15 comes out this Wednesday and that is on the Salem Witch Trials. And that very one is exciting. very cool. And that one's done. That one's been done. That's, you know, and by done, you know, I'm sure this is different for everybody. But for me, when my to-do list for an episode is done, it means that I have completely edited the episode, included all the voiceover, included all the music, included all the sound effects and have that finished, uh, you know, MP3 done and uploaded to the service. Then the description, which is the time code and kind of general summary for someone who's just visually perusing a written description of the episode can kind of see what it is. Then I create in Photoshop at least 14 assets, sort of images that correlate to that episode that go on my Instagram. So every day, so 14 days, every day from the day the episode comes out, there's a different blast. And then for every image, there's also a written description, something, you know, this is, you know, Phyllis Willibrand, you know, or this is, you know, Christopher Columbus's old hat or whatever is I'm talking about. And that, of course, is hugely time consuming in the part I didn't necessarily anticipate. And is it totally necessary? I don't know, but I like it. It feels like it fills out the whole experience, but that changes how, quote unquote, long it takes for an episode to be to be done. Right. And are are you posting those images after the episode comes out or is it like coming up in the next episode? We'll learn about this. I chose to do it. The the former because um, after okay. <clears throat> yeah so what I do is the episode comes out and on like for example the one that comes out on the eleventh the Salem witch trials the day that it comes out it will be hey here's the date and you know release day and and an image of me and my guest hopefully or something about the image and then every day will be something related to the Salem witch trials then about one week before. So it's Wednesday. My, my new episodes always come out on Wednesday. So it's always hump day. So it's mm-hmm. either the hump day is either the day a new episode is coming out or it's the day that I'm releasing a video quickie, which is a preview of the episode that is to come. But other than that, I don't, I don't pre post or predict the episode that's about to happen. I stick with the episode that's live. But again, that may be something future seasons. I may reevaluate that I'm making yeah. it all up as I go. Yeah. Well, aren't we all? <laughs> we're fortunately we're not competing for listeners because mine's no. mine's every other Wednesday on the opposite Wednesday of you. Perfect. So see? Yeah. See? You have a live show coming up, May twenty sixth. How did you go about setting that up? Do you have like a, a certain listenership number that you were looking to get before you decided it was time to do a live show? Or obviously it's you know, it's a more natural extension for you as a stand up comic to go on stage and to perform live in front of people. Like for me, it would be 
a much bigger deal, I'm sure. Um, yeah. To to go out and do that because I just I don't do that. But you know, how did you decide it was time to to do that? It's crazy, actually. The venue reached out to me early, okay. early on. It looks like a cool spot. It's a I looked really it up. cool spot. I think it's gonna yeah. be. I think it's gonna be ideal. I I of course always thought about the live performance aspect of it because that's my root. That's my DNA. And I have been putting on live shows forever. I mean, I told you, walk into a room and tell everybody what I just learned, right? So when I was in Minneapolis, I I was the co-director and co-producer of a live variety show called the All-Star Variety Show Bonanza. And we had magic and contortionists and dancers and singers and comedy and the whole thing. We did it every month for a couple of years. When I moved in the RV park in Van Nuys, I started a show called the Trailer Trash Talent Review. I saw some of that on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> which was a wildly fun and successful show of just trailer trash and various artists and comedians from around LA that would stop by. And it was sort of a, a late night style, like a Jimmy Fallon kind of style show. And being a stand-up comedian and an improviser. So I, I kind of thought there might be something about the podcast that would have a live element even though it's medium is so necessarily different. So when I first, I was kind of always thought, yeah, maybe something like that. I might do a live recording somewhere. And then I got an email from the Glendale reading room, which is the sweet little venue. I think 45 people sells it out and it's uh books on every wall is covered in books and it's very intimate. It's very cool. It's very easy to get to. <laughs> and um, he said, I created this space thinking about podcasts like yours fun, cool, interactive, irreverent, you know, that would have a, a, a neat audience. And if you ever want to record live here, please let me know. And I thought, geez, I fucking hardly know how to record this thing in my living room. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let me get some of these under my belt first. So I said yes to this guy. And I said, let me look at my calendar and figure out how that's going to work. And then, the, like I said, the show started, I feel more comfortable with it now. And I still don't know how it's going to work, Chris. I don't, actually don't know, but I picked yeah. the date <laughs> and I was like, okay, May 26th, I'll figure it out by then. And I think I got it. I mean, he's set up. He's ready to record podcasts. So the technical okay. part, like I, I have all my own technical equipment, but my understanding is that he's you got don't need that. To bring it. That's what he does. So he'll have that okay. set up. I am going to get a dedicated mic from a sound guy I know to mic the crowd uh, specifically and in a specific way so that when my listeners hear this in their headphones, they're hearing a nicely balanced room yeah. where I'm not shouting, you know what I mean? And there's going to be live comedy. My guest is a comedian. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of comedy at the top of the evening. So I'm going to be really thinking always of two things, which is my live audience that's there is going to get a hell of a show. They're going to get a 90 minute to two hour show that's going to involve comedy and maybe even some music. And then the recording of the live podcast where they're encouraged to be to be heard and to, you know, be a part of it. And then also thinking about my podcast audience listening later. And so at what point will they hear my voice say after this, a, a drag performer came up and did a drag show and, you know, see, you should buy tickets next time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I have merch. I made a koozie. I've designed a beer Ooh. koozie that says Hilf history is a party and everybody's coming. And, you know, I'll sell those for $5. That's awesome. How how are the ticket sales going? Do you know? Can you see that in advance? Good. I can see that in advance. And like I said, it, I'm not, I haven't really thought about it because 41 is such, yeah, like I'm, I, I'm always sort of filling shows and selling shows and I just kind of figured yeah. 41 wouldn't be hard. So my understanding right now is like maybe half, half full, but I, I'm hopeful and I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll have a nice full house on the night of the. 
41 wouldn't be hard. Can you imagine? Well, you don't know me. I can't possibly imagine getting 41 people to come watch this be recorded at this at this moment in time <laughs> yeah in in this in this area maybe if i was in la it'd be different like right? i feel like that's a, a culture thing out there like people just go to go to little shows and we venues do. And plus stuff. the venue has beer you know yeah you yeah, see it. and the and we'll have it'll be fun and they'll let you know hopefully it'll be it'll feel more like a comedy conversation you know yeah, yeah. no that'll be fun i think so i saw some of your youtube clips of your stand-up from the laugh factory mm. and it's fucking hilarious <laughs> thank like, you <laughs> thanks most podcasts die relatively young mm. like less than seven episodes mm-hmm. you're obviously having fun making the podcast is that the only thing that's keeping you motivated to continue making new episodes is that you're enjoying it is there is there another end game that you're driving towards or are you just going to keep it going as long as it's a good time Oh, it's a good question asked really well. Um, Yes, is the short answer. I do think that I love it. And I think that that's why I started. And I think that's why I'll keep going because I love it. It's also actually made me better at retaining the history I read because I know I'm going to be responsible to telling someone else about it. And they say, you know, if you want to learn something, teach it, right? Because you really find the gaps in your understanding, (laughs) when you have to thread that string for someone else, you know? And so I think it's made me a better reader. I'm I'm more consistent. Like, like it's giving me a lot personally beyond just the pleasure of doing the podcast is um, the joy, (laughs) such a nerdy thing to say, the joy of reading history has been enhanced (laughs) by doing the podcast. This is kind of my job now. I have to read these books. And that is the other thing. And that's no small feat when you have a child and a husband and he's looking at me like, why aren't you doing the, this hard thing with the kid and i'm like because i have to <laughs> honey i'm on a deadline honey how could i mother when Joan i have to read my Joan of Arc yeah. book? um but it's also been professionally um uh, already a shot in the arm i uh, two great opportunities as an actress came from this already um one was i'm i was sort of the historian in the marketing campaign for uh, a limited series on stars. Um, It is the story of Martha Mitchell, who was the other whistleblower in the Watergate uh, situation. Um, And Julia Roberts is playing Martha Mitchell and Sean Penn is playing her husband, uh, John Mitchell. And it's great. And so I was part of the marketing campaign as Don Brody historian to just be like, this shit was fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. try to get, try I think to get I saw people. that promo too. Yeah, try to get cool people to to think history is cool. And that seemed to be my my asset. And then I'm also going to be shooting um, as the historian for a history channel series. And I don't, I still have to investigate exactly how this happened. I know it's through the podcast because the yeah. producers, the executive producers and so on that I've been speaking with, one of the first things she said was, oh, I got your theme song stuck in my head. So I don't know how my podcast got onto the radar of these individuals, but they have liked my delivery and my theatricality. And I think the the production quality of the podcast and uh, it has it has already led to very cool, exciting, tangible performance opportunities beyond just the podcast. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Do you think part of that is because you're in L.A.? Obviously, it's because. You know, you've you've got the history knowledge and the personality and the abilities and stuff. But do you think being based in L.A. is part of the the opportunities as well? Like, 
Definitely. And I have, yeah. you know, I'm a SAG after and I have a manager okay. and I have an agent, you know, so, so the, the, Real the gears of that machine are there. And, and in my standup, I'm talking about history. Do you know, like, like it is what I'm making, what I'm laughing about in a lot yeah. of my sets is, is about history too. And so it's already, it, it, this word can really make people want to barf, including me, but it is kind of my brand. Branding. Mm, so I'm a, I'm a, it's necessary. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a foul mouth, you know, historian. That's, <laughs> that's my brand. And, History uh, channel letting you be you. Are they, are they muzzling yeah. you? No, they're not. No, they, no. I mean, I, I don't know if Cole they'll let Hill me say fuck. on the History they, channel. You know, the stars did not include the name of my podcast under my name, <laughs> but, uh, but no, they, they seem to really want me to speak in my authentic voice. And I'm sure, you know, but I'm good at that. I know how to, I know how to change my, I can go to um, PG yeah, pretty quick. I don't like it as much and it doesn't feel as authentic. Like my very best friends in the whole world. If I sat down for a night and didn't swear, they'd be like, are you sick? Like, are you okay? There would be like this wall between us. They'd be like, why yeah. are you not speaking in the fullness of yourself? Yeah. But that's never what the CEO of Best Buy is wondering when I don't say fuck during the award ceremony. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting switch. I feel like I can, I can turn that on and off as well. I don't swear around my parents or around my kids, but around my friends for sure. Yeah. We all have that button somewhere. Yeah. Do you ever worry about balancing assumptions of your listeners knowledge with what you're presenting? Mm. And I, I just thought of this question while you were saying like, you're, you know, as you, as you learn, about a topic and you really need to know it in order to teach it do you ever like worry you're you're gonna skip over something because you you know so much about it you're like well obviously everybody knows that you know mary shelley is the author of frankenstein i don't need to mention that yeah i do and and i and i sometimes will catch myself in the edit being like i've either made a logic jump i've made a timeline jump and not everybody is going to be along for it right how do you address that sometimes i try to um to be aware of it. Um, hmm. So far, I haven't caught anything that hasn't been able to be sort of like in the voiceover. You know, I record that voiceover in the beginning, middle and end that if it's a real gap, like a real logic jump, like I think I might lose people. I can actually say, just say it in a point I need to say it. But for the most part, my episodes aren't scripted. I don't script what I'm going to say, but I do outline okay. and have okay. a structure to the episode of when I'm going to reveal what information and how. So I've usually gone over it enough that I have it. But like, for example, um, an episode that's coming up down the line <clears throat> that I just recorded is Great Mistakes. Um, and my guest and I sit down and discuss the, from all sorts of various timelines, stuff that made us laugh. You know, as you're paging through the book, the thing that was like, and then he ate a cat? What the fuck? Like what happened? You know, those things that are just sort of funny and ironic. And so we kind of volley back and forth. And I talk about one of the things I talk about is the children's crusade, which is one of my favorite little funny anecdotes from history. And to talk about the children's crusade, I do feel like I got to give you just a second on what is a crusade. Are these like the squires Templar? No, he was between the, between the fourth and the fifth crusade this 13 year old boy named Nicholas got a vision from God. God told him that the reason we kept losing these crusades is because we were being violent and brutal. And that the only way that, that the Christians were ever going to reclaim the Holy city of Jerusalem from the Muslims and the infidel, right. Was to slay them with our innocence and our love. 
So God told Nicholas to get the children of Europe to walk with him into Jerusalem and just shake hands, make it all better. And 30,000 children between the ages of like roughly 13 and 16 walk across Europe with this kid. Crazy, right? And then uh, yeah. they get to the Mediterranean, which has always been the pickle for the Crusaders is how the hell do we get across this giant ass lake? And so they kept being like, Nicholas, what are we going to do when we get to the Mediterranean? And he was like, don't, it's work on God's side. All right. He's going to part it. I don't know. We're going to walk on it. I don't know. He doesn't worry about water. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so they get to the Mediterranean and miraculously seven giant ships emerge from the fog and are like, hey, kids, God said you needed a ride. <laughs> right. So they get on the boats. And two of them sink <laughs> fucking fast or sink off the coast of Sardinia. And the remaining five go successfully to Africa, where all of those children are sold into slavery. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> is it awful? Come get on our show. This, I mean, this is the like the medieval equivalent of getting in the Candyman's van. Ugh, I know. It's 12-12. And I was like, I just think that's such a funny, horrible story. But like when you said, what do you need people to know? Like, yeah. I just kind of tried to tell you what you needed to know, which was about the previous crusades. You needed to know a little bit about that, that it's about Western Europe going over there to Eastern Europe and trying to get into the Middle East. And you also need to know the Mediterranean is kind of hard to get. across. You know, like, what do I need to tell you? And when do I need to tell that to you for you to follow along? And if you are a crusader or crusading historian, then hopefully you're listening to it being like, oh, funny. I see what she did there. Or, you know, I, I know what she's leapt over, but I, I'm, I see how she, you know, we can follow this because it yeah. is hard. It, it's as hard to try to think about your listeners who have no previous knowledge. And I do know from my analytics that I, I do have a significant amount of listeners who are out of the United States. So okay. if I'm talking about a United States, very specific history, sometimes I like to give a little bit of like a, by the way, prohibition, <laughs> right. You know, 1920 was, was the thing that we did there's the thing we did yeah and it wasn't just prohibiting prohibiting thing it was prohibiting specifically intoxicating liquor you know all right so you don't have notes well you do have an outline what what is what does the outline look like how like do you have sheets and sheets and sheets of it or is it like just five bullet points and you just remember it all? i do i have such it's so funny this part really did come from the beginning is one of the few things about the podcast that just really hasn't changed from the very first swipe at it. And it was because a hundred years ago, <laughs> um, I, I actually started my first foray into being a, a historian slash comedian was on a, a radio show in Minneapolis, okay. a very, very early morning public access radio show. So, you know, all radio programming is required to um, run a certain amount of public service programming. It is like part of the F, requirements or whatever. And so, of course, most of them put it on at hours that nobody is listening and they could not, they have no chance of selling advertising. Right. Right. But every major station, regardless, has to have a certain amount of this. So um, a guy I was dating at the time, really nice guy, Eric Webster, um, had a radio show and, and he had me on and he, he was one of the first ones who was like, you're the history mistress. He's like, you sit with a joint in one hand and a glass of whiskey in the other, <laughs> and you can't shut the fuck up about history. And it's intriguing and we like it. 
and people want to hear it. And we laugh at you and we, we feel smarter somehow at the end of this, not dumber for having smoked a joint and drank whiskey and talked about whatever. So he's like, I think you should do these history. And so I would always write my, what I needed to say out in the same way, which is just a general outline that doesn't have jokes. I'm not writing yeah. punchlines and I'm not necessarily writing the ironic stuff. It's just so that I can look at you guest in the eye and talk with you. Like we're really talking, but if I need to glance down to be like, it was Reverend Samuel Paris in 1642, I can have that because I'm also a nerd enough that if I want the name and the date and the latitude or the longitude, I can't really move on if I don't have it. Sure. <laughs> So I do find that my outline is a lot of the specifics so that I can just get wrapped up in the storytelling and knowing that I'm landing on these lily pads of of fact (laughs) as I'm, as I'm stretching the stuff in between. Yeah. I don't have notes other than my list of questions, but your questions are so good. And it is such a service that you you send us those questions in advance. Thank you. I think people have looked at them most of the time. I did. I found it very useful. I would absolutely need notes if I if I was doing a history podcast. I would probably need to script it and just mm. <laughs> like read it word for word. You know, I thought about that, especially when there was like the research in COVID and yeah. life got really crazy and it was kind of hard for, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to get a couple of these up on time or at least not with all of the stuff I want. And I thought about, because I had some scripted stuff just reading you know, storytelling, reading a script. And I had a little bit of it and it's not, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I think it makes sense. I think there's fun interstitials. It might be something, you know, Patreon and extra content and stuff like that. that Folks talk about that. um, I might release, you know, five or 10 minutes sort of funny storytelling things that would be scripted quick and easy for me to produce, but hopefully fun and of interest to people that were interested in the podcast. Have you listened to the memory palace at all? No, someone else recommended it to me, but I haven't. It's it's good. He um it's all scripted and he he just reads through and like performs it. But mm. it's it's really interesting, mm. really well, really well written. And he's a good narrating voice. How much research are you doing for these episodes? You're talking about reading books, like listening to to other podcasts, are you watching videos? Are you perusing I, the internet? You're Googling. Yeah. Like how how much time, how many hours are you spending mm. researching to make each episode? Um, it depends on how long the book is, but I do read a book at least, at least, one? At least one book for every episode. Okay. I'm trying to think if there's an exception to that though. Well, I guess this one, actually the great mistakes, the one where my guest and I were, were volleying back and forth. I didn't like dedicate a book of like historical, historical great mistakes and read that book. And that's like what I'm reporting on. I did, I did sort of pop around to a bunch of different books and pull out things that I like and favorite. So that wasn't, I guess I didn't do a full, the usual sort of watch a documentary, read a book, but then some books are longer than those. Cause like I got this Watergate girl. I'm doing Watergate is one of my last episodes of the season. And I've already read all the president's men <clears throat> and I've seen the movie, which is great. But then I found this book. And as soon as I found it, I got pissed off because it's like 650 pages <laughs> and it's called Watergate, a new history. Oh boy. And it of course is written, you know, came out, I think it was like 2018 or something, 2017 or 2018. We now know who deep throat is. You don't know what you thought you knew. It it actually has so much valuable information for everything that happened. Like now we know so much more than we knew before. So my dumb ass has to read these 700 pages. Somehow I got to find time to read <laughs> this entire Watergate book. 
Are you taking notes as you're reading the book? I am. In fact, what I've what I've started doing is um, if it, and sometimes it's sort of broken down well in the in the books itself. Sometimes they're structured with like part one, part two and chapters, you know, but I usually have a document going as I'm reading the book and every whatever seems to make sense. I will go to that document and do a summary. And sometimes it's really quick of just each chapter. Like, so then, you know, like with Joan of Arc, it's like the Burgundies and the Armagnacs are not working it out. And the English are at the door. And so this cunt, like, I will kind of write it as like (laughs) how I'm remembering it, you know, with page numbers. So that, because usually I can't really structure what I'm going to say in the episode until I've finished the research or quote, whatever I think the finished research is. And then it's like, crafting the story of the episode, you know, like for Frankenstein, for example, like I knew the first half, I'm going to just tell everybody the story of Frankenstein. What happens in the novel? Quick Dawn's summary of like page one to the end. And then the second half is Mary Shelley. And where the hell does this story come from in the mind of a 16 year old girl? The D.B. Cooper episode, the first half, I just told the mystery. What happened on that flight? Who was there? How much money did he have? Blah. And then the second half is my favorite suspects, the very, my favorite theories on where he went and who he was. Kind of conjecture. I don't know if that's history. Conjecture. Right. Exactly. Well, (laughs) uh, at least the history of the stuff we don't know, you know? And so, but I don't know what that is until I finish the research. So sometimes I'm really, I close the book and I research and then I'm like, oh, I know I'm going to start with the assassination and then I'm going to go cover these three people or whatever it is. Are you researching more than one episode at a time? Are you preparing for more than one at a time? A little bit. I can I can do that a little bit. Like right now, for example, I am reading Joan of Arc. That is the book I'm reading right now. But I'm also researching and getting myself sort of ready. And I started Watergate, but I had to kind of pick one at a time. It wasn't I wasn't able to read both of those at the same time. But I might be doing like online reading articles for something else online. But I'm usually one book at a time. One book. And sometimes a corresponding documentary. Those are quicker to consume. But I might be editing the other one at night. It's still kind of a mindfuck, though, because you'll be reading about Joan of Arc during the day, but editing Watergate at night, (laughs) that can kind of make for a, you know. Joan of Arc was not in Washington, D.C. No, no, no. But they did call her Deep Throat. (laughs) Uh, you mentioned listener stats earlier. Do you look at those and try to deduce what topics you want to go with in any meaningful way? Or are you are you trying to follow what any of those stats might tell you? Are you are you learning anything from those? I don't know what I'm learning. And I'm guessing at what I'm learning. I, I suspect that season two or like whatever sort of happens with the future of this episode is probably going to be educating myself on interpreting analytics. Uh-huh. I don't, I wouldn't say I really necessarily choose the subjects or my guests necessarily based on numbers and like how many people are going to listen, but I do try really hard to keep all of my episodes right around one hour. And usually the break is give or take 30 minutes, just because as you talked about at the beginning, as a consumer of podcasts, regardless of my love of the subject or my interest in the host or whatever, you just can't sometimes, unless you're taking a long road trip, yeah. the chance that you have a whole hour to sit down and consume it all at once are just kind of on the outside for a lot of people. So you're already asking a lot for them to like come back. 
So I like to give a break because it's like, if you're waiting for a moment to take a break and come back, like here's a moment for you to hit pause and then, you know, and it's every other weeks and it's every other week. So you have time to space out my one hour episode. Yeah. But I do try to be judicious about no matter how interesting the subject is, I try to keep that episode to a consumable one hour or do a two-parter, which I've done, which is like this episode is done. And if you want more of this, there's another (laughs) like fully, you know, realized episode. Yeah. But I also haven't noticed so far that I've, I've been able to predict how an episode would do. Like James K. Polk did really well. I, I, I wasn't sure. I thought that might be one that people skipped over. Um, my guests have been like Shelby Young, who was my guest for the pirate episode, is the voice of Princess Leia in all of the animated Star Wars and all of the Legos Star Wars. She's like a big deal. And she's got like six million followers on TikTok. And I didn't wow. notice a particular bump yeah in downloads she, or likes she or follows. It? she did yeah. yeah but it's that thing that marketing all over the world and, and everything is trying to figure out which is yeah. just because someone follows her on tiktok and thinks she's really hot and likes her voice does not mean they are going to listen to a history podcast right. on which she is a guest so right. i did get like on instagram if she posted a photo of us of course that photo got more attention than anything i i would have had that came directly from my podcast but i even didn't even see a correlation from like how many people liked that photo to then went and either liked anything of mine or downloaded the you know the episode yeah. so i think sometimes we assume there are these connections it's a big jump yeah <clears throat> when really it just seems to be the success of the podcast that I've had so far, I really attribute to people just liking history. Yeah. And I think that people who like history podcasts have found it in the way that they find history podcasts. And hopefully I can do, produce a, and deliver a, a fun and quality enough product that they want to listen to it over and over, you know, and tell their friends, Ooh, there's this thing you want to see. And, you know, you go from there. Are you doing anything aside from the 14 Instagram posts to consciously market the podcast? Uh, the live show, yeah. what I do in my standup, I do talk about, I say the podcast name because it's funny. So, um, you know, when I talk about being a historian on stage, sometimes there's a reaction, sometimes there's not. And if there's not, I'll be like, ah, the silence of your jealousy, you know, <laughs> and, or, oh, what'd you ask? Do I have a podcast? Of course I do. <laughs> Who does? You know, what would, what kind of historian would I be if I didn't have a podcast? It's called Hilf History I'd Like to Fuck. And it's very good. And, you know, and I have noticed that after a show, I will get, I'll, I'll notice some activity from people yeah. that seem to, to already get a gist of me and the thing. And if they listen to podcasts and they already have a thing, they go and they get it. And, um, yeah. So that seems to be the cl- and then some, what you're doing, I'm reaching out to other podcasters with similar interests or similar locations and trying to, um, share, uh, you know, I think your listeners would like my podcast. I think my listeners would like your podcast. Let's throw each other, you know, a bone. I think that's probably, you know, the the best way to get new listeners is to have them discover you on another podcast. Yeah. Because people are listening like they're in the podcast app. It's not like they need yeah. to jump out of TikTok or out of Instagram or break mm-hmm. that mind hold that those apps have over their eyeballs and go find something new. They could like they're in the app that they need to be in. Yeah. search it and subscribe to it so that's cool that's something that i need to do i haven't done that yet i haven't have not been a guest on a podcast yet i've had podcasters as a guest you should be on mine but yeah give me a subject yeah. okay <laughs> i will I'll, I'll email you some options if as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as i think of Great. some Great. you have the the break in your seasons coming up over july 
Mm-hmm. Do you anticipate any changes? Have you thought about anything that you want to change yet? Or are you you pretty happy with where it is right now? So far, I don't feel I, I don't have a sense of any changes, like massive changes. Like I like the theme song. It's great. I think maybe the artwork, I might change just a different shot, a different headshot or a different picture of me. I did get a logo. I went on Fiverr. Oh. And I and I paid some gal in Indonesia to make me three really lovely versions of a of a logo and I really like yep. it. So I'm kind of looking for an excuse to debut the new logo. Um I also with the time down, I'd like to design the website. And I suspect that once I've gotten a you know, because I have Linktree, which seems sufficient for everything I need to do right now. But I think like I can see how a website would be a useful tool. You have a website. I have a website for Donbrody.com, like for me and for my yeah. stuff, but it it's not, not for the it's not exactly where I want. Yeah, that website is not exactly where I want it. And it doesn't specifically have, you know, the podcast sort of represented in the way. So I think maybe doing that will just automatically bring about some aesthetics and stuff that may change it. But mostly I'm just using it as an excuse to catch up. Do you have the URL already? You already have the health no, URL? Yet, no, no, not yet. I should do that, right? See? Uh-oh. Somebody's, Somebody's already got to charge my ass for that. <laughs> Sell it back to you for $5,000. Right? Yeah, I'll do it today before you air this. What kind of history did you have with audio recording before you started making your podcast? Did You were on the radio show. That's mm-hmm. audio speaking. Mm-hmm. I was in the world of audio. I'm a voiceover actor. It's one of the things I do. So home production, mm-hmm. um, I had to get the equipment. And what is that? What the quality. Um, it's Gator. It's the real standard, you know, Gator mics. Um with the, this is mm-hmm. this is new to me. I'm not familiar with this. I'll send you a picture, girl. They felt it felt like my my husband is very supportive, um, and he makes all the money. And so he when I <laughs> when I said I was you know wanted to do the podcast, he was basically like I found out what the kit was like just the general. It's not extravagant. Yeah. It all fits into a backpack, but it sounds really good. And I don't have like jib arms, but I have like a swing arm and a table stand, you know, and a pop of shields. Um, and that, and, and it seems to, to do the job. I do get some background noise, but my podcast is really kind of casual and irreverent. So I can usually roll with it if it's something that actually kind of filters through, but I was pretty familiar with GarageBand and that is the, the software that I do all of my editing in, in GarageBand and, um, and just generally kind of familiar with like, I don't know what the word audio etiquette. Yep. I, in real life conversation, I do an unnecessary and annoying amount of, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, and I interrupt because I'm a loud mouth <laughs> know-it-all and I jump in the middle of thoughts I, uh, uh, and I, I often don't finish my own thought. Like, good luck editing this. Bye-bye. Like I, <laughs> I interrupt my own thoughts and other people's thoughts, which may or may not make for interesting conversation. I suspect it's actually much more irritating conversation than I ever predicted because as an edit, you just find yourself being like, finish a sentence done yeah i do a lot of cleanup on my oh. episodes i find myself and i'll i usually leave it in for myself but i'll i'll like start a sen- a question and then i'll say one or two words and then i'll just repeat it like wh- why why i do I don't, I don't know i i do similar i reiterate too much but i also find that i will have a thought that i have completed this thought in my brain for some reason i believe you have also already completed the thought that I've had in your brain. <laughs> and so instead of saying the last four words necessary to complete the sentence, I just, just go, I will literally just make bubbly sounds okay. or I go, you know what I mean? 
instead of actually finishing the thought. Right. And that makes for just an audio Normandy beach. It's just a bloodbath. It can be very difficult, but I've gotten slightly better at that. <laughs> the hamburger Hill of podcasts. Ugh. Are you recording into GarageBand or do you have, I heard on another episode, I think your most recent episode where you said you have like buttons you can press for yeah. sound effects and stuff. So are you, do you have an external recording device with I like do. sound cues? Yeah, I have an external recording device. It's small. It's like that little brick seems sort of industry standard. It's maybe the size of your hand and it has four plugins um, and, like you know, for audio. The Zoom, Zoom exactly. H, H the Zoom, you probably see it exactly right. And it's everything I need. It has four sort of preset buttons for sound effects or transitions. Cool. And um, I do know my friend Bo Hufford, who was my guest on the last episode. He also does a number of podcasts and his board. Oh, he's got a big old board, all sorts yeah. of buttons. I don't know what they do, but I don't need that yet. That I think that would complicate my life. Have you had any guests be like intimidated when they come over to to record? Like, are you... Do you, you, I assume you have the headphones on or mm -hmm. no, no headphones. Yeah, no, like, we do have headphones. Everyone's so worn them. Um, except for the one, the the spice trade. <laughs> my, my, my hello kitty earbud. Um, no, I haven't had anyone. You mean like intimidated by like being recorded? I like the microphones. Yeah. Like, no, for the most part, my guests have all been performers or okay. some, some version of like performer savvy. So they've all been, mm -hmm seems like they've all been pretty comfortable with it or if there's just that one moment of like putting the headphones on and be like oh it's a little loud in my ear but beyond that they they did i do i do have um um a couple of episodes uh where my guests do a lot of uh, finger banging on the table finger banging uh, they don't finger yeah. bang me i should be clear they tap the table a lot yeah. when they make points and um boy that's echoes up through the mic that can be a real pickle yeah I am realizing that I have dragged this on so long. Time has flown by. Um, so I'll, I'll start wrapping it up now. But what is one of the most important lessons that you've learned about podcasting since you started? Mm, that's a good question. I think the lesson I've learned about pod... I mean, I didn't know anything. I, I, I didn't know anything. I listened yeah. to a handful of podcasts and I... I had to sit down my friend, Meryl Klimo, who is also my guest on episode four. She really held my hand and was like, well, there's basically two different services that distribute your podcast and how distribution works. So once you've recorded it and whatever about, and how you get it onto Apple and how you get it onto Spotify and how you get it onto Google and the kind of variations of that. So I got kind of the one-on-one on it. And so like what did, I learned everything, but like, I think the, my takeaway is the reinforcement of what I had presumed going in and what I am glad to you know, find is, seems to be the truth going in, which is as long as you really love the subject, like whatever the, the core, whatever the gravitational pull is that has brought you into podcasting, stick with that. Yeah. And it will probably be fun for you to do and fun for people to listen to. It's why I like the concept of your podcast, honestly, so much, because it makes so much sense to say just like, I like podcasts and I can see how you may have even thought, what do I want to do a podcast about? And realizing it's the podcast itself. It's kind of meta, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Very inception. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Don, this has been a ton of fun for me. I've had a fantastic time talking to you. Is there anything else that we should talk about? Did we miss anything that you wanted to cover? Oh, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you also. I guess not. I guess the only thing I need to know is like what history subject you're going to assign me. For season two. <laughs> Gonna have to think about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be great. And uh, where can people find you? Where do you want to send them? 
Um, people can find me on dawnbrody.com uh, if you're if you want to keep it easy. Um, but if you go to my Instagram, dawn underscore brody, B-R-O-D-E-Y, uh, that is the most current place to see my link tree from there will take you to all of the places in which I am performing stand-up. I perform stand-up around Los Angeles every week and tickets to live shows and current Hilf episodes. And if I'm doing anything on the History Channel, you know, you'll find all of that on the link tree from my Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me on Who Makes a Podcast. This was great. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Don Brody, stand-up comedian, actor, and host of the hilarious and educational podcast, Hilf, History I'd Like to Fuck, which can be found on all of the major podcast networks. You can also find Don at donbrody.com, on Twitter and Instagram at Don underscore Brody. My name is Chris Cookley, and you can find me at whomakesapodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be an enormous help if you shared it with your friends or left a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. It really does make a difference. And if you host a podcast and would like to be my next guest on Who Makes a Podcast, let me know. Go to whomakesapodcast.com slash guest and tell me about your show. This is Who Makes a Podcast. I'll be back next time with another conversation with another incredible podcast host. Thanks for listening.